Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Each week we take you inside the club with The Athletic's Chelsea experts, breaking down all the latest news from SW6. On this episode, we're learning lessons from Southampton and Sevilla, previewing Saturday's trip to Old Trafford and answering your questions. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Out of Cobham. Hello, listener. Thanks for joining us. Matt Davis-Adams here, joined by the Athletics Chelsea experts. Dominic Fifield is here. Hi, Dom. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Simon Johnson's also on board. Hello, Simon. Hello, everyone. Nice. Universal. And of course, Liam Toomey's also with us. How are you doing, Liam? I'm very good. Good. Um, we'll break down the games that have happened since we last spoke shortly, but I wanted to start with a tweet from a high-flying seagull. Uh, that, that's the Twitter name, obviously. Uh, they ask, when will Petr Cech start... Uh, Liam, for anyone who's missed this story, it broke on Tuesday evening or or anyone who hasn't read your explainer on The Athletic, fill them in, please, because they'll probably be quite baffled. Yeah, absolutely astonishing, this. I basically checked the Premier League squad lists when when the Premier League put them on their website last night. And it was around the same time that the Chelsea team news dropped um, to face Sevilla, which I think a lot of other people were focusing on, understandably. And I I saw Petr Cech's name and start messaging people at at Chelsea asking, is this a mistake? Because I remember a couple of years ago, Diego Costa's name was on a Chelsea squad list um, after he'd left to join Atletico. And I think that was because he was technically still on Chelsea's books. But it quickly became clear and Chelsea confirmed quite swiftly that it it wasn't a mistake and that Czech has been registered, in their words, um, as a precaution in case... Uh, COVID-19 kind of causes extensive disruption to their squad, particularly to the goalkeepers at any stage in the season. This is Chelsea saying that they they want to be extra cautious and making sure they've got experienced cover. And it's become clear over the last couple of weeks with with Czech training at Cobham um, with the other goalkeepers that he's still got it, so to speak, um, at least least to a, a good professional level. So... He he is now available for selection for for Premier League games, not for the Champions League. We must add, um, it's only the Premier League squad that he's been registered for. But it's just a remarkable turn of events. Um, we know that Czech has been keeping himself busy in a sporting sense since since retiring. He's been playing some ice hockey with Guildford Phoenix, and uh, I think he's he he's been missing the thrill of, of football. Um, people at Chelsea are insisting that it's unlikely that he'll play for the club. But uh, but it's still a remarkable story to have him just on the Premier League squad list out of nowhere like this. And it, and it made for quite a wild evening. Simon, how do you think um, Willy Caballero and Kepa are feeling about this? To be honest, I think they've got more than enough to worry about before Petr Cech was named. I mean, he, he actually is probably being quite a good help 
to them at the moment. Um, he, he speaks their language, literally, and also the goalkeeping language. I, I think he's probably just the kind of person you want to be training and being around right now um, to sort of work on your game, improve your game, lift your confidence, etc. I mean, it must be a little bit odd, obviously, because um, you know Chelsea already have three goalkeepers and, and the COVID explanation... It's a bit strange. I mean, I, I get, I get that COVID's going on right now, but it's not like only Callum Hudson Odoi has tested positive since March. So um, it's not like there's been like this uh, mad outbreak in the camp before now. But um, but yeah, I just think I just think that the two of them have have got bigger things to worry about, which is when they'll play for Chelsea full stop. Um, because whilst they're they're obviously ahead of Petacek in the pe- pecking order, the way Edward. Edward Mendy's playing. Um, I think he's more of a cause for concern than Petr Cech is. Dom, I just wonder if this maybe might end up causing Chelsea an issue that that is is not really necessary. In that, if Mendy gets injured or if he loses a bit of form, people aren't going to be clambering for for Kepper or Caballero to come in and take his place, are they? They're going to be clambering for Peter Cech. People who are harking back to Petr Cech's better best days as a goalkeeper might be doing that, but I think. I think, realistically speaking, for, given that it was his last competitive game, the Europa League final against Chelsea, mm. presumably. So, yes. I, I mean, that's twenty nineteen. I, I, I really, I, it's a, it's a love. I think it's a lovely story. I think it's a, I think it's quite sensible by Chelsea. It doesn't say an awful lot for the academy goalkeepers coming through, I guess, but it's. I think it's quite a sensible move because we. I think this last international window has demonstrated. Um, quite how unpredictable uh, COVID infection can be. Uh, who gets it? Who comes back from international duty with it? Who can be ruled out at, at the drop of a hat, basically, uh, or rather a, a, a swab up the nose? Um, <laughs> and it's, it, I think it's, it's eminently sensible just to have as a backup, backup, backup. I don't think Chelsea will look at it any other way. I, I don't think. I don't think Petacek will ever be preferred over Kepa or Caballero if Mondi is is absent. I, I, it's just that would send out the wrong message completely. I, I don't think Chelsea have got themselves into a particularly difficult situation with it either. I just think it's being quite sensible. There was a slot available in the, in the squad. He's taken it as a precaution, um, and and to me, it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I, there are other question marks. I would I would like to. Um, to ask of of Chelsea in terms of their goalkeepers, not least when I've seen an England goalkeeper who would have counted as a homegrown talent uh, cost an, a rival Premier League club five hundred grand last week uh, in Jack Butland at twenty seven, who I think would have been a far better option for Chelsea to have within house um, as a second stroke third choice goalkeeper. Very 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 cheap indeed. I think they've missed a trick on 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 a, on a signing like that. Given that, that 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 time has passed, the window is now closed. Uh, yeah, Petacek, To me, that's a a sensible way of, of of moving forward and just safeguarding things. Given there's another international window next month, um, and we just don't know how COVID is going to react. Just to point out, because I hadn't really thought about it until I had cause to think about it um, when when the news broke. Petacek is eight months younger than Willy Caballero. <laughs> It's remarkable to think about, but he is. Um, and Lampard made the point after the severe game that, that Czech had probably retired when he could have carried on. We know that he wasn't brilliant for Arsenal towards the end. I actually thought he was pretty good in the Europa League final. But um, 
he he clearly feels he's got more to give in a sporting sense. Um, and I'm not willing to rule out, despite what everyone at Chelsea is saying, I'm not willing to rule out the scenario that he might end up at, as second choice at some stage. <laughs> because I think after what happened against Southampton, it's going to take a lot of convincing for Lampard to play Kepper in a consequential game again. And as we said, I, I don't see there's a there's a, a discernible difference really between Caballero and Czech given given their respective ages. So we'll just have to keep an eye on it, won't we? Yeah, and we know that Czech was uh, instrumental in, in the signing of Mendy, so maybe it will be a benefit to, to get to work closely with him a bit more often. Um, also worth pointing out, I'm just on the Chelsea website, they currently have five goalkeepers out on loan. Jamal Blackman, Nathan Baxter, Jamie Cumming, Ethan Wady and Teddy Sharman Lowe. So maybe that's why they felt that they had to uh, to turn to one of the club's greatest ever players. Time will tell whether he gets some game time. OK, let's talk Saints and Seville. So since we last spoke, Chelsea have had a couple of home draws. On Saturday, the Blues conceded in stoppage time to drop two points at home to Southampton in a 3-3. They followed that up by keeping a clean sheet on match day one of the Champions League, courtesy of a goalless draw with Sevilla. If we briefly take a look at the the Southampton game, um, Liam's already touched on the negatives there, the defending and the goalkeeping specifically. Um, But Dom, there there were some positives, not least the performance of Timo Werner. Yeah, Werner and Havertz were the... The two standouts and attacking force that they, they they really showcased um, what they can do and how they can hurt teams in the final third. There were issues of balance, and I think those issues exist still post severe. To be honest, um, finding that the right um, compromise between attack and defence, and and being comfortable in the system and the setup uh, that that is that is an ongoing task for Frank Lampard, but. Look, going forward against Southampton, Chelsea were were superb. Um, some really vibrant attacking football, particularly in the first half. Um, but now they've just got to find a way of doing that whilst remaining slightly more sure at the back. So then it, it comes to Sevilla and they do look more assured at the back. So, I mean, is it just as simple as saying Edouard Mendy and Thiago Silva were playing? Is it that basic or, or, or have they worked on something in the in the couple of days that they'd had on the training ground? I think it's a significant factor, but it wasn't the only reason. Um, I think Frank Lampard spoke after the Southampton game, sort of intimating that perhaps he, he may have to change the approach a little bit. And there, and there was definitely a more conservative um, element to Chelsea's play, and understandably so, because Sevilla are a very, very good side that recently, only recently got a draw at the new Camp against Barcelona in La Liga and are being tipped as a side that perhaps could break the the Barcelona-Real Madrid uh, stranglehold in the title race. Um, So there was definitely a more classic European sort of style of play, I thought, about Chelsea. Um, But there's no doubt about it that Chelsea looked far more um, comfortable, a little bit more at at ease when Mendy and Silva were in the team. I I thought that was the case. It shone through against Crystal Palace. Um, okay, Crystal Palace weren't the most adventurous side. Sorry, Dom. Um, <laughs> but but they were very... You could just tell that it, it is the knock-on effect. Not only are they sort of um, not making blatant mistakes, but the players around them seem to be a, a little less jittery, um, albeit Kurt Zuma, I thought, had another ropey performance uh, against Sevilla. 
Um, I also think uh, Ben Chilwell, um, he is just he's just sort of dropped straight into that team and and looks like he's been playing at Chelsea for years. He, he he's made a very smooth um, adaption to a new club. Um, but I think just overall, it was um, you, you could tell that Chelsea were very wary about being caught in transition high up the pitch. I still think there's issues with the Kante Jorginho double act. Um, as as the protection in front of the back four, I, I, I'm not sure that's the best combination. Actually, it's interesting you say that, Simon. You've been maybe not critical, but questioning of, of Angelo Kante previously on the pod, and we've had a couple of tweets of people asking if it's worth Chelsea maybe looking to sell him now because they've had the best of him. Is that something that you'd agree with? No, I mean, when when I wrote about Kante, it was it was mainly suggesting is the time now to sell him simply because you're going to get top dollar for him. Um, he's, he's not getting any younger. Um, certainly in terms of the, the defensive midfielder side of things, I wouldn't have him at the top of my list. I think I think um, there's other players ahead of him um, in terms of what they're not producing defensively. And, and Jorginho is, is certainly a player that I think would have been sold in the summer if Chelsea had been able to get a defensive midfielder in, i.e. Declan Rice. So, no, I, I, I don't think Kante is the one you're looking at right now. Although, I have to say, so far, he, he, he does look a bit a yard short of pace. Uh, I don't know whether that's injury-related, but I was watching the game against Sevilla and I thought there was a few times where I thought, oh, Kante of old would have got to that ball, would have got to that challenge, and he just seemed to be a, a, a bit off it. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Liam, you wrote about the uh, the severe game for the Athletic and, and the fact that because not much happened, that was actually not a bad thing as far as Chelsea and Frank Lampard are, are concerned. It, given that the other game in the group was a draw as well, and given that you know Sevilla have had a good start to their season, a great end to last season, this isn't the worst result in the world, is it? No, definitely not. The the, the priority I think for this game was always to make sure that you don't lose it, and Lampard spoke about that in the lead up about how much more complicated losing to Valencia on match day one last season made things for Chelsea. Um, they are the two best teams in the group. I think nothing happened between Ren and Krasnodar to make you think otherwise. And who tops this group, you would think, if both teams play up to expectations and, and take care of business elsewhere, will come down to that game in Seville. Um, and there's every reason to think that will be another close game. So in the, in the meantime, Chelsea just need to start building good defensive habits and a good defensive structure and, and get into the get into the routine of executing well and doing the little things right on a consistent basis because they just haven't had that. Arguably, aside from maybe that, that seven-game run in, in the autumn of Lampard's first season, they've not had any sort of defensive consistency at all. I mean, their expected goals rating 
was 0.36, the lowest under in any game under Lampard. So this was, by the eye test and by the numbers, their worst attacking performance since he took charge. But when you look at the talent that's in this squad and the kind of level of familiarity and chemistry that they can build up over time, I don't think it's a stretch to say that whatever happens, Chelsea's attack will get a lot better than this. So the key is that they're able to maintain the standards that they set against Sevilla at the other at the other end of the pitch. We've had plenty of people asking us about formation. Edward Nilsson among them. He says, why is Lampard shifted to 4-2-3-1 instead of the 4-3-3 that we used last season? And Brantley Pollock then chipped in on that, wondering if it was Havertz related. Do you think that that's why Frank has shifted away from, from the formation that worked pretty well last season? That would be my instincts. Just you got a player coming into a new a new club, a new environment, new surroundings. Um, in the in the Premier League, a very different type of league. Um, and if if he's going to need to adapt, then maybe a slightly more free role as a ten uh, in a four two three one uh, might suit him. Might bring the best out of him early. Might give him a bit of confidence. Uh, allow him, Lampard to sort of let him settle in the best way possible, and then. Maybe a bit further down the line, if he wants to tweak, if the four-three-three is more natural to the team as a whole, then maybe they could they could uh, uh, sort of tweak it in that way. That that said, I, I think this team is more than capable of switching between a four-two-three-one and a four-three-three. Uh, not not least if you're including Mount in there, who who can operate slightly deeper, um, or can operate wider. And I, and I know the Mount debate continues to rage on on on, on social media. And, I, and I'm going to stick by my assertion that he's just a player that Frank Lampard trusts and knows knows he'll do what he asks him to do out on the pitch. And at the moment, where Chelsea are in, integrating a load of new players, that can be quite reassuring, I think, for, for the head coach on the sidelines. Yeah, speaking of personnel, we've had a, a couple of questions on those. JL Sandberg wants to know, why do you think Lampard is playing Pulisic on the right and Mount on the left? Uh, Yarin chipped in on that, opining that it might be because... Mount offers more protection to Chilwell, who obviously likes to get forward a lot. And um, what do you think, Simon? We've we've not seen the best of of Pulisic in the couple of games he's had since his return. Is that due to the injury, or is that due to the fact that that he's not playing in the the best position for him? I think it's a bit of both, um, because we, we saw in the few minutes um, against Sevilla when he did switch to the left that he looked like the Pulisic of of last season. Um, I must admit, it, it, it is a strange one because the argument about Mount protecting Chilwell, well, well, Pulisic, you'd argue that Mount's kind of needed to protect Rhys James on, on the other side. And, and Pulisic, I thought defensively, doing the ugly side of the game, um, was found wanting against Sevilla. Um, I thought many times he lost his his, uh, his fallback, as it were, um, and, and Rhys was left in a, in a two-on-one situation quite a bit. Um, but I, I wouldn't be too worried. I mean, Pulisic, he's only just come back. Um, I, I don't think it will take too long for him to get back into in the swing of things. But yeah, the, the him playing on the right and, and Mason on the left um, is a surprise to me. I, I don't think it, it will be too long before we see Ziak in the team. So Mason Mount will be worried about that situation because you, you have to assume that once Ziak is fully fit himself that Ziyech will be on the right and Pulisic will be on the left. 
Uh, here's a semi-related question from from Frank Tweets, which I'll put to you, Liam. He says, Reese James is reaping the benefits from having Asby. He's not having to play every single game, giving him a break and a chance to observe Asby, take the pressure off, etc. Is Lampard putting too much pressure on Mount by playing him almost all of the time? Would he be better on the bench more? Um, I think that's an interesting comparison, isn't it? Because uh, Simon's mentioned um, Zayek there, and maybe when he comes in, he will be first choice. But it does seem to have benefited Rhys James that he's not playing week in and week out, and that he's got such a capable player to learn from in Aspilicueta. Yeah, and there's a certain amount of accountability as well for poor performances. You know, if if Rhys James has an off day, he also has the knowledge that Aspilicueta is probably going to come in and play the next game. And I think that's good for a developing player as well to know that, to, to have the kind of good kind of, of internal pressure and competition where you are being pushed to maintain high standards. I think the one way in which it increases pressure on Mount uh, Lampard playing him so much is just from fans. Because I think it's exposed Mount to a lot of criticism that he doesn't deserve, just as Jorginho didn't deserve it when Maurizio Sarri was was playing him every game and, and making him so prominent in the team. It's not down to the player. I think Lampard has his reasons for, for, for playing Mount. I, th- I think part of that is probably because they've got so many new attacking players to bed in. He he likes the 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 element of consistency and familiarity that, that Mount brings to, to that side of the team. And that he he sets a, a baseline level for the for the work rate and the intensity that that he will bring and and kind of set the tone for others. I think when everyone is fit, that it will get harder to justify playing Mount or indeed anyone else really every single game when Chelsea are playing every three days. So we'll have to see how Lampard manages it. But um, I feel sorry for Mount in terms of the the criticism he gets because it's it's just not merited on on a personal level whatever you think of him as a player he's 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 trying to do his best and do his job in whatever position he's he's played in and if if he's trusted by Lampard that's uh that's not his decision well we'll see if it's Mount or Zayek or anybody else who makes the starting 11 uh, on Saturday tea time when Chelsea head to Manchester we'll look ahead to the game against United next looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So Manchester United away next up for Chelsea. This was the fixture last season that began the Lampard reign in inglorious fashion. Blues beaten 4-0. The scoreline didn't really reflect how the game went. Uh, United had an impressive win in Paris on Tuesday, but at Old Trafford they've already been beaten 3-1 by Palace and 6-1 by Spurs. So, Dom, that must give Chelsea some cause for optimism going into Saturday's game. Yeah, you'd like to think so. I think I think United will test Chelsea, Chelsea's backline. Um, that, that they seem to be a team that that only really thrive when when they're playing on the counter attack. They're not dominating possession particularly in in, in games and and reaping rewards from that. And they may have more of the ball than they certainly did in the Palace match. But I mean, when you've got a Martial, when you've got a a Rashford, um, you know, pouring forward. I mean, I don't know where Green, Greenwood is at the moment, but I mean, th- these guys are clearly going to be a threat. And I mean, I suppose, 
there has been a you can get at this at this United back line. There, there, there's clearly vulnerability there, albeit Twanzebe played so well in Paris. You'd imagine that he would now be uh, someone that Chelsea will have to confront on at the weekend. I, I just just look at United and think that that's, that's wildly unpredictable. And you could argue the same for for Chelsea as well. Um, that it it could be an absolutely blistering game with 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 two teams whose frailties at the back are very evident and and whose prowess up top is is great. I mean it's it's mouth watering on paper. I, I wouldn't expect it to be uh, you know the, a repeat of a four nil from from the beginning of last season. I think Chelsea's uh, FA Cup game will, will stand them in good stead for this fixture. But I, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be really entertaining. So, Q nil nil draw and dreadful, clearly. But, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a real it's a really good test for Chelsea. And I think both teams will get will go into it encouraged by for different reasons as to how they performed in in midweek. So, I mean, as a writer, you'll be uh, pleased that there's so much narrative all over the place as, as regards this game. One subplot which is interesting to me is is the pressure on both managers. Chelsea have only lost once this season and United coming into this one off the back of successive wins. Is the pressure just the nature of, of the clubs that they're managing or the fact that the two managers in question are so inexperienced, a bit of both maybe or something else? Definitely a bit of both because there's there's kind of, obviously Chelsea Manchester United the, the, the expectations are massive um, in Chelsea's case in fact in both clubs cases in, in recent years that the sort of the hiring firing um, record has gone up uh, certainly at Old Trafford it's gone up since Sir Alex Ferguson left quite a, a regular turnaround of managers Chelsea's been fairly consistent. Um, in hiring and firing since Abramovich came along. So inevitably, it only takes a few results for people to be looking at it and going, or oh, managers under pressure. Then you add the fact that, that people question whether these guys, whether jobs come too soon for them and whether they got the job simply because they were great ex-players. You've got all this kind of cynicism floating around. Um, so, yeah, of course, there's going to be um, huge consequences just in terms of the reaction to whoever loses this game um, because again it will just bring up all those negative thoughts that, that those people that have these feelings that these two should be replaced and of course you have to remember that there's a certain Richo Pochettino out of work at the moment and so those fans that sort of think well hang on perhaps we could be doing better with someone like that um, they'll be saying, well, he's available so he can do a better job. Um, I personally think, um, obviously this is a Chelsea pod, so I'm just going to talk about Frank Lampard's situation. It's far too early to judge uh, judge him on this second season. His first season, he, he um, achieved something that was beyond most people's expectations by getting Chelsea in the Champions League. Um, yeah, the Champions League, again, um, was 90 minutes away from winning the FA Cup in a in very impressive fashion by um, the kind of teams that Chelsea beat en route. And he's just bought players for the first time to, to, to mould the squad he wants. And um, it's too early to judge his team just yet. What do you think, Liam? Chelsea haven't won at Old Trafford for, for a while, not since 2013. Lampard did his did his cause no harm last season with, with statement wins at places like the Emirates and at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium too. Another one of those would be pretty timely. Yeah, and I think um, I think the tactical element of this is really interesting because when United 
did a number on Chelsea um, at Stamford Bridge in the league and also in the Carabao Cup. They did it with a back five with wingbacks and really outmaneuvering Chelsea. Um, and Chelsea kind of solved that in in the FA Cup semi-final by matching systems and, and effectively proving that they, they can actually play that system better than, than Manchester United. Um, so I'm I'm going to be really interested to see how both teams line up, whether Solskjaer tries to do the same thing again and whether Lampard goes to, to a back three with, with win-backs for, for the first time in, in quite some time and it in an, in anticipation um, of what he thinks United might do. I think there's a lot of second-guessing here um, and both teams have the personnel to line up any, any number of ways. But um, it, it, it might be the case as well given the way both teams are playing, that this game actually doesn't follow the same pattern as recent clashes between the teams and might even be slightly more open. Well, we'll find out half past five UK time on Saturday is the kickoff for that one. Uh, a brief elsewhere in Chelsea news this week. The women's team aren't in action this coming weekend. It's an international break. Uh, in terms of the men's development and academy sides, the under-18s host Norwich on Saturday lunchtime. They're going to that game off the back of a thumping 5-2 win at Reading last time out. The under-23s, meanwhile, at the time of recording, top of the PL2 table, although that might change because there are some games on Friday night. They're away at Liverpool on Saturday. It kicks off at 1pm. You can watch that live on the 5th Stand Up and Chelsea website. I'll be commentating on that one alongside Clive Walker. Um, that's just about it for this week. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have been working on for Athletic subscribers to peruse, though. Uh, Liam, as mentioned, you've been making the case for the defence. Yeah, so my piece on the Severe game is up, um, talking about the things that Chelsea did differently defensively and and why that's maybe slight cause for optimism uh, in, in terms of the development of this team. Yeah, and the other thing is that in light of the dramatic Petr Cech news, um, Simon and I are working on a piece kind of going into the background of that decision, for hopefully for later this week. Uh, Simon, tell us a little bit about Nigel Spackman's beef with Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gone down brilliantly with uh, with readers. Um, yeah. um, his his sign was taken down. There, there was a story. Uh, there was a story that was that, that came out that his sign at Stamford Bridge was taken down. That's been there for for nine twenty years. Uh, it was put up as a tribute by former chairman Ken Bates, and yeah, so it's a sign with it, the Spatman entrance. Um, and I just uh, rang him up to see what he thought about it. <laughs> Let's just say that Nigel wasn't too happy with the way the club handled it. He found out that the sign was put in a bin. Um, and, um, and yes, so Nigel is, is, is giving his view. I think, look, it, it's attracted a lot of criticism. Nigel in particular, um, he's been accused of sour grapes, etc., etc. And And the funny thing is, is he's... He was very nervous about doing anything anyway because he he didn't want to be accused of that. But his main beef is not the not the signs coming down, but but that yeah, just the way it was handled. I think if if you put yourself in a position, whoever you work for, um, I think you'd like to think that if you've given a number of years to to a company or whatever, that that should such a decision be made, that perhaps a phone call, just explaining it, just that personal touch. Um, so that's where he was coming from. I think he's also perhaps intimating that, um, you know, what if this happens to any other um, ex-players that have got tributes around the ground that perhaps belong from the pre-Abramovich era? 
But you know, speaking to to Chelsea, they obviously have their stance on it and how they handled it, and and think it was handled appropriately. So, anyway, I, I'm sure Nigel will um, will move on, and I'm sure the readers will <laughs> with with uh, with their pieces to follow. And um, yeah, my next my next piece with a random former player of Chelsea, which um, which may be running in the next few days, is uh, the Chelsea legend that is Ratty Alexitsi, who I'm uh, <laughs> who. Who I am speaking to, um, and hopefully he will have something to say about his glorious Chelsea career of three appearances. <laughs> he got a gate. <laughs> uh, maybe at Tarlington. I don't know. <laughs> um, Dom, you've written about Rem, which is uh, of interest to Chelsea fans who want to learn a bit more about one of the uh, Champions League opponents for the Blues this term. They have a reputation, or they had a reputation, as it was described to me as un club de loser. Um, which isn't um, particularly kind, but it sort of reflect, re- reflects them, their status as the underachievers of French football. But the last few years, they've got their act together um, under a president who's since been deposed at, at the club. But they seem to be moving in the right direction uh, under Julien Stéphane. Uh, they had a good draw in their inaugural Champions League uh, game uh, on Tuesday night while Chelsea were drawing with Sevilla. They were drawing one all at home to another debutant in Krasnodar from Russia. Um, and they look like a club that that is going places, not not least because they've got some absolutely outstanding young talent in their in their team. Kamavinga being the the principal example, at seventeen year old midfielder who who won't be at Rennes probably beyond the end of this season. But a few good a big suitors are after him, and Doku up front will also cause teams problems. So yeah, a good a good club, good progressive club, and uh, one that I hope actually. Uh, shows their credentials as they as they learn on this European journey and hopefully finish third and get a, get to experience life back in the Europa League for the second half of the season. Well, remember, if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, you can sign up for just a pound a month by going to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod. Thanks for your company this week. My thanks also to Dom, to Liam, to Simon and producer Adonis. From all of us here, though, it's bye for now. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.